Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, it's a 49ers Seahawks live room, 49ers Seahawks podcast. It's it's been it's been a while since we got to do one of these. We got used to doing them last year, Matt. 49ers and the Seahawks played three times, week two, then later in the season up in Seattle Thursday night, just like this year when the 49ers clinched the division and then back at Levi's for the wild card playoffs. The you know, I think by by score, the closest game was the one in Seattle. But I think, in effect, the the, the playoff game actually m- might have been a little bit closer. The, the 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 game in Seattle last year, the 49ers were routing them, and uh, it, I think it would have looked a lot worse had Nick Bosa not fallen on top of Geno Smith on the Diamond Lenore pick six. So it ended up only being what a seven point game or something. But it was that playoff game last year where. Remember Seattle was down only a few points and they were driving and I think it was Charles Amenahu who uh, forced the fumble and, and then the 49ers ran away with it in the fourth quarter. But uh, either way, 49ers were much better than Seattle last year. I'm just talking about uh, little nuances of, of where, where the Seahawks might have found a crack uh, to, to try to catch the 49ers. And, and I think that the, the goal for San Francisco this season is to maintain that edge over Seattle. Yeah, uh, big things happened in those games last year. Um, of course, uh, Trey Lance breaks his ankle uh, in the first Seattle meeting, and, and, the, and the 49ers seemed to be in control in that game, and then um, were certainly so after Jimmy Garoppolo came in. And then in the second one, uh, that was the, uh, the Brock Purdy rib game, where he didn't know if he was going to play. And we're, we're talking literally minutes before kickoff. Uh, they were debating whether to go with Josh Johnson, who had just come in. Um, but uh, I think uh, modern medicine, let's just say, kicked in right at the right time for Brock Purdy, and he felt a lot better. And he actually looked really good in that game. And I think that this game is going to be similar to that one. Uh, obviously, the uh, location is similar. You know, w- one of the other similarities is that there's a, a hurt uh, quarterback, David, um, I was watching the uh, Rams Seahawks game last night, and the Seahawks were, in, you know, pretty much in control of that game uh, late in the uh, in the contest when Geno Smith got hurt, and uh, he was replaced, and uh, that's that sort of allowed the Rams to come back. I think Geno Smith is going to play in this game. He was limited on uh, on Tuesday in that uh, sort of scant Tuesday practice that these teams have. Uh, but another scenario where one of these quarterbacks is having to play uh, on a short week with an injury. How do you see that uh, being a fact of this uh, on Thursday? Well, Seattle couldn't block the 49ers last year. The 49ers had 61 pressures over the three matchups, and I don't see that changing this season. Seahawks have changed a little bit about their front. Charles Cross, the rookie tackle last year, it has, has matured a year. I think he's better, so... 
he'll probably be able to give Nick Bosa and, and Chase Young a, a, a better fight, but they're a little desperate on the other side to the point where they brought in a 41-year-old, Jason Peters, and I don't think it's going to go well for an offensive line that, that's had to do that against Nick Bosa, Chase Young. Eric Armstead coming off his best career pass rushing game with 13 pressures against Tampa Bay, uh, and obviously Javon Hargrave has been added to the mix. So there's no indication that Seattle will be able to handle the 49ers pass rush better than they did last year. And, you know, when you ask me about Geno Smith and how it's going to go for him, I, I think that's that's the operative term, right? Last year, he wasn't really able to ever get a rhythm against the 49ers because Seattle couldn't win up front. And I think this season, Seattle brings a very similar o- offensive arsenal. They've added a rookie wide out, but still, it's it's the DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett show. And the, and the 49ers did, did really, really well uh, in covering the Seahawks. And, uh, you know, over the past two seasons... Geno Smith has started out hot, uh, and then he's he's trailed off as as the season has gone along. And even during his hot stretch last year, the 49ers shut him down in week two. So uh, it just seems to be a really, really good matchup for the 49ers on that side of the ball. Yeah, I can't imagine having an injury is going to kind of help that situation. W- what about the other side of the line? We, we got a, uh, a question right off the bat from Noe T., uh, do we have the likelihood of Banks starting and Feliciano replacing Burford? Um, all sorts of movement along the 49ers offensive line. How do you see that shaking out when uh, the 49ers first take the field uh, at Lumen Field? Well, that's that's really interesting to me. I know Banks was back out of practice. Uh, he's coming off the turf toe. He was listed at, as limited, but... That was just, you know, a procedural thing because they, they didn't actually practice practice. It was more of a walkthrough. So it's it's really, really hard to know uh, if he's going to be ready or not. And I think the 49ers really wish this game were on a Sunday uh, because I think Banks would be a, a much greater certainty to play. And, and Spencer Burford, who's a fresh addition to the injury report, would be um, a much greater certainty to play. But Burford hasn't practiced at all this week. So there is a chance that the 49ers – are missing both of their starting guards. And this is one area where Seattle is different. They, they have nine of 11 new starters since the last time they played the 49ers defensively, and they have retooled the defensive line, especially the interior. Um, they're running a 3-4. They, they have Leonard Williams. They traded for Leonard Williams, so he's going to rush a lot against guards in this game. Uh, they brought back Jaron Reed, who, who used to be a fixture for this team on the interior. He was gone for two years. They have Draymond Jones now. And uh, they have Mario Edwards Jr. So that's the four players who can, you know, vets who could really give a beleaguered offensive line trouble. And, you know, let's just go big picture, Matt. The 49ers offensive line, uh, even with everybody healthy, hasn't been good in pass protection this year. That's been uh, probably the most remarkable thing about Brock Purdy's performance to me is that this line ranks in the 20s in pass protection. And they've given up a lot of pressure against good interior rushers. Last week, Vita Vea. Um, had his way there on the inside. I don't think the Seahawks have a Vita Vea, but the, but they have enough veteran talent there to give the 49ers some trouble, especially if they have some injury absences at guard. Okay, so let, let's just assume that it's Banks back on the left side and it's Feliciano who has uh, been playing well um, as Banks' replacement on the right side. and he, He's played on the right side in the past, so it shouldn't be that big a deal for him. Uh, you know, the 49ers always keep one guy in reserve, especially at center. 
Um, who's that guy in this game? Is it uh, is it the undrafted rookie uh, Corey Luciano because he does play center? He was up for uh, the Tampa Bay game, but they, they they do have some options there as far as that reserve interior lineman. Yeah, they, they do, and I, I think Luciano is a, is a natural fit to activate in a game like this because in case in, in case you have an injury at center. And Feliciano's already to, uh, uh, occupied by being a backup at one of the guard spots. At least you have an emergency for the center position, and you don't have to send Feliciano to center to put out that fire and then be completely exposed at guard. But uh, the four, uh, Trent Williams, when I asked him yesterday, it was interesting to me that the first name that came out of his mouth for the guard position as far as an emergency was Jalen Moore, who's actually never played yeah. guard. Maybe he maybe he did in high school, but I doubt it. I, I think that that he's been a tackle his whole career, uh, going back to college. Matt Pryor though has some guard experience. Like he's he's started several games in his career uh, back with the Colts and and, and I believe the uh, the Eagles before that. So um, the the 49ers do have a veteran in Pryor who's played some guard, and they think that Jalen Moore, who like I guess ironically they were planning to move him to guard when they drafted him, but then they just have decided to keep him at tackle. So um, maybe that's finally necessitated now if if there are some injuries at the, on the interior. Well, they, they do like to have a guy who can play center. Remember the, the 49ers uh, center disaster. What was it, 20, 2020 when they yeah. burned through? That was at Seattle, too. That was at Seattle. So um, I don't know. To me, it seems like Luciano, uh, who's a local guy, could uh, could get tapped again. Um, just, just for that emergency type of situation, but that'll be something to, to definitely keep an eye on, um, up there. Um, you know, moving forward, you know, it, it seems like Shanahan has hinted at this, that, um, boy, Feliciano looks so good in practice. We got to get Feliciano on the field somehow. And it seems like the way that they would do that at the very least would be to begin platooning him at right guard. Um, with Burford, the way that they did with Daniel Brunskill last year. Um, I mean, are you, do you think that if Feliciano does play right guard and has a good game, this could be potentially could be all we've seen from Spencer Burford this year and that he might lose his, uh, his starting job in that game in, uh, in Philadelphia coming up? Well, he's been the worst 49ers offensive lineman so far this year. I, but I also think that. They they really believe in him as far as, as his explosiveness at the second level on some of those reach blocks. They do need better pass protection, though. And, you know, but maybe they don't need better pass protection. Maybe I misspoke on that because Brock Purdy has been so explosive in the pocket. I mean, he's been able to manipulate the pocket and and, and with real bursts, right? We saw it on the throw to Debo Samuel last, last week after some – Pressure hit the 49ers. So it, to me, it's Matt. It's just that it's a question of uh, it's uh, it's, a, it's like a cost benefit, right? You feel that Spencer Burford can do some things in the run game that are really important for your scheme and, and how you try to attack. Um, but at the same time, you also have to look at um, you have to look at what what you're allowing in the pass game. And and I think that it is important the 49ers continue to develop more consistency there. I think that's. That's where the idea of the platoon comes from, is that you're trying to get a baseline of stability on some of the, at least some of these possessions. 
but also allow Burford to continue to deliver his upside and his development on the other ones. And they did it successfully last year with Daniel Brunskill in there with Spencer Burford. Uh, Kelly S. asked a question. Um, he, she, I'm sorry, Kelly, I don't know your, your gender. Didn't they just uh, sign a guard, Ben Barch? They did just sign a guard, Ben Barch, and he um, kind of flew in and was on hand for that evening walkthrough last night. My sense is that, boy, it's just too quick a turnaround for him to be able to be able to play in this game. Um, but they did sign him. So what do you think, David? Do you think that there's a, a chance that, that Ben Barch is, is active for this game and, and could get tapped on, a, uh, on an emergency basis? I, I don't think so. Kyle Shanahan seemed very, very skeptical of that. Um, he, he, they didn't practice at all full speed this week. So Ben Barch, though, it's, it's, he's really interesting. He's a former receiver in high school, tight end in college at the start of his career. Uh, came up with some really disgusting protein shake concoction that included a tub of cottage cheese in every shake that to gain like 70 pounds over one off season. That went viral a couple of years ago and um, when he was drafted and he actually developed into a good pass protector for Jacksonville last year, but then he dislocated his knee and then he got benched this year coming off of that injury. So the 49ers, I mean, this is a bit of a flyer. I think that the 49ers obviously think that, that Ben Barch still has more in his recovery to go. Like as far as I think he's healthy, but I think he's still coming back from the injury as far as effectiveness so, um, you know, I think that they, that he, he might be somebody who can fill in, uh, down the stretch who, who might raise the, the ceiling if he, if he continues to progress in, in that recovery. But I don't think he's a instant plug and play kind of guy. Yeah. There's a bit of musical chairs going on, um, among three teams here. Um, the, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars traded for Ezra Cleveland, who was a guard with the Vikings. And I was told that the 49ers also were interested. I don't know the level of interest uh, in Ezra Cleveland, but uh, when he went to Jacksonville, obviously that was off the table. But by going to Jacksonville, um, it sort of uh, paved the way for Barch to be placed on the uh, Jaguars practice squad, which enabled the 49ers to sign him off the practice squad. So, um I, I, you know, I gather through all that, and I, I know this is true of the Vikings, that they play a, uh, a style of offensive line that's similar to the 49ers, a lot of zone blocking. In fact, I think their offensive line coach is a former pupil of Chris Furster's. Uh, I'm not sure the situation in Jacksonville, but it seems like it's similar as well. So my, uh, my thought is that the, uh, the learning curve for Ben Barch isn't going to be too steep because I, I think there's probably some similarities between what the two teams do. Um, let's go back to another question here. Okay, we got one from uh, regular listener Malik H. in Oakland. Any word on Verrett to the practice squad? Yeah, I mean, that was something that uh, Kyle Shanahan said he hoped to happen, uh, hope would happen early this week. It didn't happen. He still hopes it would happen. I don't think other teams are beating down the door to sign Jason Barrett to their practice squads or to their active rosters. Uh, so maybe this is something that occurs during that long week that we're going to have now 
before the uh, the Eagles game. But obviously, the the interest is still there, but um, it's still not happening. And uh, and David, uh, you know, Jason Barrett appeals to the 49ers in a lot of ways, not just uh, his ability to play quarter uh, cornerback, but um, just uh, what he sort of gives the younger guys in the locker room. It seemed to be a kind of a big uh, uh, factor for the 49ers. Yeah, I think even the veterans, Kyle Shanahan said when they first worked him out a couple months ago before he signed with the Texans, that seven players watched his workout, which Kyle Shanahan said he had never seen happen before in his time coaching. So, I mean, Verrett's gone through two Achilles tears, two ACL tears, and a lot of other injuries. To be able to even be considered for an NFL roster after going through all that shows the talent level, shows the determination, the character, the attitude. That's all stuff that you want in your locker room. And they have an empty practice squad spot right now. So I, I, I would suspect, Matt, that Verrett might be holding out in case there is an opportunity for him to sign to an active roster or to sign to the 49ers active roster because uh, he, he had tremendous, uh, tremendously more leverage if, if he was able to do that and more money. And with more money comes more leverage. But uh, the minimum salary for, for the entire season, so it's going to be prorated, is over a million for the um, for the active roster, and it's only about two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the practice squad. So it would it makes sense for Jason Verrett, especially if he performed well in Houston, which which I think he did on the practice squad. It, it's totally possible he asked for his release there because he wanted a shot at a at a Super Bowl with the Forty ers this year, and obviously he commands a, a lot of respect and um, the, from that coaching staff as well because that they, they were with the Forty ers So. It's um it's very possible that Verrett wants to be with the 49ers and that this was kind of his plan, but he also uh, wants to do what's best for him and, and his family. So uh, right now, the 49ers clearly want him, and, and we'll see when that finally gets done. That leads us to this question from Madison P. What's the biggest need still affecting the 49ers? Um, I think you're, you're seeing the 49ers addressing the need uh, or needs uh, – I mean, look look where they're making all these moves. Uh, they're either at offensive line or at cornerback. Um, and at cornerback, I think the guy, one of the guys to really look at is uh, Darrell Luter Jr., the the rookie. Uh, remember, they had those those three guys uh, had their practice squad uh, practice windows opened uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Luter Jr., uh, Samuel Womack, and Robert Beal. And uh, Luters is the only one who uh, opened all the way that they activated him. And he actually played, I think it was 11 snaps on special teams. Um, And this is the guy that missed uh, the end of OTAs, missed all of training camp, um, no preseason, no nothing. And all of a sudden, they're giving him a shot here in the middle of the season. Uh, And it's it's rare for a rookie to, to get that, and especially a rookie who didn't practice much uh, in, in the spring and summer. So uh, basically that just uh, tells me that they have a lot of belief in him. Um, and um, if there's an injury or two, he's going to be playing cornerback for the San Francisco 49ers during a very crucial stretch of the season. And we saw that a few years ago uh, with Ambry Thomas getting a lot of big snaps uh, in the playoffs, uh, that big, uh, week 18 game against the Rams, for example, 
Um, and, um, you know, Luter is in a position where they might have to ask him to do the same. So I think that if you're looking at the future of that position, the 49ers suspect at least that they've got a potential starter and, uh, Darrell Luter, um, you know, all, all we have to do, David, is, is to see him in action. That's the only thing that's missing at this point. But, um, you know, he, to me, he's a guy to uh, look for number 28. Uh, he'll be out there on special teams on Thursday. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. And, and it, just really minimal preparation time is, is the only issue here. He's had a couple weeks of practice. He didn't have training camp. And he is a rookie. And he is coming from, you know, uh, South Alabama. So it's not like he was playing in SEC. They, they might have played a couple games against SEC. But um, yeah, he's very talented. He's strong. They, they, like you said, they, they, they like how tenacious his college tape was. So we'll watch Darrell Luter Jr. with a lot of interest, but I, I think that it's, it's one of those things where everything's kind of a wild card at this point. And, and for, for Luter, he, he might've impressed in practice and, uh, and I'm sure that the 49ers have noted that, but you don't know until the lights come on, right? It's, it's always that with it, with any player, even a first round pick and, um, everything right now is, is a high pressure situation. And that's what made, Jair Brown's insertion into the lineup last week all the more impressive to me because Jair Brown, I mean, he's a rookie. He had to come in in a pinch. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers picked on him right away. He gave up a 41-yard reception, but then he had three pass breakups in the end zone, including an interception. I mean, those were big plays, and when one of them sealed the game, so that's, I mean, it was huge from Jair Brown last week and the 49ers are going to need him as a rookie and they already have a good, I think, indication that he's going to be able to come through for them uh, after Talano Ofunga tore his ACL, Matt. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We've got a, a bunch of questions about him. Stephanie S. asked, do you see Brown having the same role as Fafanga in this defense? I saw some snaps where they had him single high, others in the box. Seems like they use him as a chess piece. Um, you know, j- just uh, on the surface of it, I think he's very similar to Hufanga. Um, I think he's really probably most comfortable around the uh, around the line of scrimmage. I mean, he's he's a bigger bodied guy. He's rough and tumble. He's got tons of energy. Um, you know, I think the question mark for him is in those single high situations. Um, you know, which was the same for Hufanga, and he ended up acquitting himself very well in them. You know, uh, when they when they used that that pick on him, I think it was eighty seven overall. 
their their highest pick in this last draft. I thought that the plan going forward would be okay. One more season season of Tashawn Gibson Sr. Uh, he's getting up there in, in years. Uh, Brown will eventually replace him, um, and and here he is having to kind of take over for the other guy uh, at midseason. Now they they are interchangeable a lot. I do think that Gibson ends up playing the quote unquote free safety role a lot more than Hufanga does. Uh, it just makes sense, but I I do think that they can play both, and and that'll be the question really for Brown. Um, you don't you don't see a lot of big plays being made against the 49ers, and it's probably underappreciated the work that the safeties have done this year, but. Uh, when, um, when you don't see a lot of explosives, it usually means that the safeties are in the right spot. They're discouraging those explosive plays, um, and basically are doing, doing their job. But, um, David, how do you see Brown vis-a-vis the role that Hufanga was playing to this point? Well, I think that when, when you look at Jair Brown, his his instincts are what jump off the tape, which I, I get it. It's a lot of what we said about Tana Hufanga. He, he had 10 interceptions over his past two seasons at Penn state that made Jair Brown, the only player that was draft eligible this, this past year to, to have double digit picks in college football. I talked to his college safeties coach after the 49ers drafted him, Anthony Poindexter. Uh, and, and his first thing was he's got an uncanny way of, of getting picks. He just knows where to be. And that's, that's honestly, Matt, that's the top instinct that you want as an NFL defensive back. It, 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 the 4-3-40 doesn't matter that much, right? If, if you don't have any instincts, the 4-3-40 is not going to get you anywhere. If, um, you know, if, if you have 4-5 speed, even 4-6 speed, but you have great instincts, you're going to be better than a 4-2, 4-3 guy. Um, who doesn't know what he's doing out on the field. So the, the, I think it was the 40 time, which was a four, five or a four, six that, uh, dropped Jair Brown down to, uh, low, lower in the third round where the 49ers were able to get him. But if, if he had run just a little bit faster at the combine, he probably would have been considered the best, best safety prospect in, in this draft, just based on the numbers and the intangibles. And, you know, I just talked about those interceptions. The 49ers say that, and Penn State says the same thing, that uh, Jair Brown was measured at 21 miles an hour with the GPS chips playing for Penn State, which is just yet another example of uh, 40 combine time not really being uh, all that tied to, to football speed. You, you have to look deeper into these things. And uh, the GPS tracking has given us a, a new look into football speed, right? And I think that Jair Brown has it. But also, Penn State used him at a ton of different spots. They played him close to the line of scrimmage. They played him further back. You know, for a while, we thought the 49ers might go with some three safety sets this year. Maybe that was in the mix. Remember that Talano Ufanga, when he came along in 2021, they did run those three safety sets. But it wasn't until about this time of the year. It wasn't until later in the season when Ufanga started playing more. So maybe that was going to happen. Now everything is expedited, though. Now Jair Brown has to play as a standard one or two safety guy. Uh, Hufanga's out, and I do think that the 49ers' ultimate plan for the future is to pair Hufanga with Brown uh, because Deshaun Gibson is 33 years old, playing really well, but uh, that can't last forever, right? No. Um, 
not, not at all. But um, yeah, that'll be interesting uh, going forward how they're going to approach that that position because you can't. I mean, they they um, they think that Talano Hufanga is going to be healthy to begin the season. It was a clean tear, no meniscus damage involved. Uh, more along the six to eight month um, mark for recovery, but it's an ACL. Um, you, you can't rely on that. So you have to have some um, fallback plans in place. And, and that brings up a, a, a question from Will L., uh, who uh, talks about uh, Brown. He says, are the 49ers uh, looking at any other safeties uh, as backups? And, you know, that takes you back to some of these uh, roster raids that other teams have done. Um, remember, Quantrez Knight was on this team, uh, you know, throughout the offseason, looked good in the preseason, looked very good as a safety in the preseason. And then the uh, the Cardinals saw that and ended up signing him off of the practice squad. So he's not an option. He certainly would have been, I think, um, if he had still been here. Um, another guy who came in at the same time as um, as him as a rookie uh, a couple of seasons ago is Taylor Hawkins. He's still on the practice squad. He'd be a possibility. But really, at this time of the year, it's pretty slim pickings. Um, I'm sure there are some uh, veteran safeties kind of floating around on the street. But uh, for now, at least, the 49ers seem to be content with what they have. Of course, you've got George Odom, uh, who was the uh, the third safety until this, uh, this last week when sort of uh, Jair Brown surpassed him for that role. Um, but I, I wonder whether that's something the 49ers will look more deeply at after this game when they have a little bit of uh, some breathing room before that uh, that Eagles contest. Yeah, and you don't know what each week is going to bring, right? We had no idea that Talano Hufongo was going to tear his ACL heading into the Tampa Bay game. So you don't know if there are going to be more injuries at that position. You don't know if injuries are going to be able to hit elsewhere. Uh, it is a leave, living, breathing thing, the, the NFL roster situation that you just have to read and react as the season goes along. Everybody tries to chart this out weeks ahead of time, and your plan blows up as soon as you get punched in the face. So um, the 49ers are just trying to make it through a marathon. I think right now they've stabilized the ship, right? They were 5-3 and three after that losing streak heading into the bye week, and now they're 7-3. and three. And now they have a game lead over Seattle. And, you know, big picture here, Matt, 49ers have a plus 120 point differential. Seattle's negative two, and they're only a game behind at six and four. So the 49ers have clearly outperformed Seattle this year, but but the Seahawks have found some close, gritty wins, and, and the Seahawks have, you know, put their name into, into this division mix. This is an opportunity for the 49ers to grab a commanding two-game lead. I think it's important that they do so because they're heading to Philly right after that. And then Seattle comes back to Levi Stadium. So this next three-game stretch for the 49ers is really a way to transition from trying to gain control over the division to really inserting themselves into the mix for the number one seed. And I guess I should say reinserting themselves to the mix into the number one seed because they they fell out of it a little bit after that three-game losing streak. I really see this as a potentially defining three-game stretch map. Yeah, and then you're looking at, uh, obviously, the, the Chiefs would have uh, done the 49ers a huge favor if uh, they'd been able to pull out that win on 
uh, on Monday night. Boy, uh, I've never seen a bigger discrepancy between two teams' wide receiver crew as the uh, as the Eagles versus the uh, the Chiefs. The Chiefs' receivers were terrible in that game, just awful. Um, but you know, the the silver lining is that it doesn't get much easier for the Eagles. They play the uh, the Bills, and then of course the the Forty ers and then the Cowboys, and then the the uh, Seahawks in Seattle. So uh, I think that the door is still open for the 49ers to uh, try to get that uh, number one seat. Obviously, beating the Eagles would go a long way toward that. But um, it, the, the dream is not dead to have that number one seed uh, going into the playoffs. But uh, yeah, this, this next uh, stretch of games for a lot of teams is going to be really, really juicy. Um, and what last questions or last series of questions about the Seahawks? Um, we talked about their their offense being relatively similar to what it was last year. They added a couple of pieces, um, and and one of them, Zach Charbonnet, could be the uh, the starting tailback um, tomorrow night. The defense, though, has been reshuffled. They've got a lot of really interesting pieces there, and at least in Seattle, they think that they are set up better to uh to attack the 49ers uh offense to beat the 49ers than they were last year what do you see from them david that uh that defense particularly the the defensive line which is uh different than it was last year uh leonard williams is uh is part of that unit leonard williams will end up playing the 49ers probably three times this year because he was with the giants when they came through levi stadium earlier in the year um, and he's part of that mix. Some other new faces uh, along that defensive line as well. Yeah, I mean, Seattle's generating a lot more pressure than they did last year. However, they have lost some edge rushing talent. Uchenna Nwosu, done for the year. He was their sack leader last season. So they've tried to make up for it by bringing in some retreads like Frank Clark. And Frank Clark is nowhere near the player that, that he used to be. He's depth for Seattle now on the outside. I like Boye Mafe, who's a younger edge rusher. So we'll see who gets to work against right tackle and Colton McKivitz because th- that player obviously is going to have an easier time than, than whoever goes up against Trent Williams on the left side. I really like the, the Seattle interior, though, compared to what they were last year. They've They've brought Jaron Reed back, who is the type of player who's given the 49ers interior lineman trouble. He's 300 plus pounds. The 49ers are lighter than they are than they are strong on on the interior, especially if they don't have Aaron Banks. But Jake Brendel is a great example of that. Brendel's gotten pushed around a little bit by these really big nose tackle types, and and Jaron Reed can deliver that type of impact. Again, he's not a Vita Vea, who was 347 pounds, but Vita Vea is. A, as a singular player, there, there is nobody else like Vita Vea in the National Football League. Jaron Reed gives that Seattle defense its spine again. You know, it gives that interior presence that I think they were missing for a couple of years. And then Leonard Williams is, is the type of player who can line up anywhere along the defensive line. And I guarantee you, he's going to see a ton of work against the 49ers guards. And that guard situation is what we were talking about at the top of the show. It's sketchy right now. I mean, if both of your starters are on the injury report, it, it could get it could get really shady in this game. Plus, Mario Edwards Jr., Draymond Jones, who's a really versatile player. Draymond Jones can line up outside, inside, do whatever you needed to. I think the Seahawks can run a lot of trouble for the 49ers on the inside. 
And that puts a ton of pressure on Brock Purdy. And every single time I talk about the 49ers offensive line, it comes back to Purdy because he's an absolute outlier in the league. He's the only quarterback that's delivering truly exceptional efficiency behind a below average O-line. And uh, you can't emphasize that enough, Matt. You know, one of the narratives about Brock Purdy that's incorrect is, oh, this guy's everything set up for him. He doesn't. He's playing behind a line that's really struggled. And, and I think on national TV on Thursday night, I think it might be especially apparent if the 49ers have some injuries there at guard. So I think there's just a, there's a lot of pressure on Purdy to continue doing what he's doing. And that is show calmness, show his capability, and, and show that poise that, that you need to show whenever the protection in front of you is not great. Well, he certainly showed it in Seattle last year under more difficult circumstances, or at least more individual difficult circumstances that he's going to face uh, tomorrow night. So poise is what, what this guy has. I mean, this is one of his superpowers. You look at, uh, okay, how is this guy elite? Well, I, I think it's safe to say that his poise um, and his processing are elite at this point, and that's what's uh, served him so well. Uh, you made a point about Mafe. Boy, Mafe, he's got seven sacks. Uh, really has been their sack guy up in Seattle. Um, I know that the 49ers were very interested in him and uh, the 2022 draft. Uh, he ends up going early in the second round to Seattle, and the 49ers were left with Drake Jackson uh, later in the second round at the same position. Uh, obviously, the Seahawks getting a little bit more out of Mafe early on than the 49ers are getting out of uh, Drake Jackson. Let's let's talk about our predictions, David. How do you see this this one um, shaping up in uh, in Seattle on Thanksgiving night? Well, I, about the same as you, I saw your prediction uh, when we were working on the piece. I think you said, well, I'm not going to spoil it because you get to say your own prediction, but I'm going to oh, yeah, say 20. People uh, just uh, <laughs> ready, just uh, uh, salivating, ready for it. Right. Chomping at the bit, yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna say 27-17. That 27 point mark seems about right. That I actually predicted that last week, and that's where the 49ers ended up. I feel 30 is just tough to get to because w- once you're up in the higher 20s, when the 49ers defense is playing well, you you tend to shut it down a little bit offensively, and that's exactly what happened last week. So 27 seems right. It's gonna be dry in Seattle, which is important. Like last year, it's going to be dry and it's going to be relatively cold. It's going to get down into the 30s uh, because this is a night game. So I think that I, I think that th- that's not going that's not going to impede the 49ers' offense. It's going to allow them to put up their high 20s output. Maybe if, if something else goes right for them, they'll get into the low 30s, which is obviously excellent in the NFL. And you know, I, I might be. Uh, a little generous towards Seattle, giving them 17 points in this game. They only managed 16 against the Rams. So, but they're at home, and 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 you would think that the Thursday night fatigue in this game typically hurts defenses a little bit. That's why I said 17 for Seattle. So 27, 17, 49ers. Yeah, they were able to score 29 against Washington a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, is that their high score of the season? No, they had a uh, a thirty seven. No, thirty seven a couple times. Yeah, yeah, against uh, Carolina. But I mean, this is the team that wants to run the ball, um, wants to play keep away from the Forty ers You know, the the, the typical uh, way that you try to play San Francisco. So it, it's very hard to see um, a big score in this game. 
Um, so that's what I'm going with too. Uh, something along those lines. I'll, I'll switch it up. And, um, you know, when these two teams get together, you sometimes have some oddball scores and scoring. I'll go 26, 20, 49ers. Um, uh, I do think that, uh, the 49ers are going to be able to kind of break through that offensive line of Seattle's and really kind of make things, uh, miserable for Geno Smith in that crew. Um, but, um, uh, it's, it's entirely possible that, uh, the, the Seahawks defense is, is able to do the same. So that's probably the, the, the Seahawks best ticket to a win. They can be disruptive. Um, if they can be disruptive up the middle, as, as you described, if Leonard Williams, who played well against the 49ers, uh, uh, in that Giants game earlier this year, um, despite the, uh, the lopsided score. So I'm going to go 26-20, 49ers. Uh, and um, I guess the big question, David, is if, if it is a 49ers win, who gets tapped to be the guy or guys chomping on the, uh, the turkey leg um, at midfield of Lumen Field, which, of course, would be uh, comeuppance, recompense for what happened uh, in Levi Stadium way back when, when, when Jim Harbaugh was coach. Yeah, this is the first time they're playing on Thanksgiving since 2014 against the, the, the Seahawks. Maybe the first time, period, the 49ers are playing on Thanksgiving since since the Turkey on the 50 game against the Seahawks. So uh, it is, for the franchise, it, it is a chance for, for vengeance. I know that, that you don't have many of the same people around players completely have turned over since 2014 but um jimmy ward was around in 2014 he would have been a holdover he was a rookie that season but he's gone now he's in he's in houston so my bet for turkey is um well they're they're obviously going to bring out the quarterback if the 49ers win so so brock purdy would be eating turkey and oh, uh, he he would he would be all polite. He'd eat it with yeah. a napkin and a, and a fork and a knife. I, I want to see two guys who just kind of rip the uh, rip the legs off the car. Uh, you know, I, I want to see Chase Young and Nick Bosa doing. Yeah, that. Chase. Yeah, I, I think that it would be better TV if they got both Chase Young and Nick Bosa out there eating the turkey. Uh, but well, if I remember correctly, it was Russell Wilson and Richard Sherman. That's right. They brought That's out right. an offensive and defensive player. So hopefully they they're not stale like that. Hopefully they. Hopefully they go with the turkey eating talent over just, you know, representing the offense and the defense. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you for joining. This is, uh, we're going to be back much more frequently. We, we were both actually a little bit sick here over the past couple of weeks. So that's why we couldn't do a show this last week. But Matt and I are healthy and ready to go for the stretch run. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. So the 49ers at 7-3 and three, taking on the Seahawks at 6-4 and four, Thanksgiving night. This has been another episode of Here's the Catch. We'll talk to you all next time.